A battle royal is underway right now for control of one of Australia's key energy operators, Origin Energy. You might be one of the millions who's either a shareholder or a customer or both. There's so much at stake here. Two huge North American entities want to take Origin over. They say to spend around $30 billion on helping Australia transition to a low-carbon future. Opposing them stridently and publicly is Australian Super, our biggest retail super fund. It owns 15, I think it's 16% actually now, of their shares. Oz Super says it's also committed to approving epic amounts of money on transitioning, but that the takeover offer led by Brookfield, a giant Canadian asset manager, is just too low, that it would not represent proper value for the fund's main purpose, maximising the retirement savings of its Australian contributors. There's Division 2 emerging among energy activists. What would be best for the environment? And the whole thing will be settled next Thursday when shareholders vote on the offer. To prepare us for what will emerge next week and beyond, Ian Verinder joins us to offer an explainer. He's business editor for ABC News. Welcome, Ian. Hi, Geraldine. How are you going? Good. Well, now, the specifics are that Brookfield and a company called EIG have offered Origin shareholders $9.53 per share to take Origin off the Australian exchange, place it in the hands of private equity, very cashed-up private equity. Why is Aussie Super so opposed and playing really hardball too? Well, I think what this represents is a significant shift in uh, the way investment funds work. Well, certainly, you know, to begin with, there's a significant shift in the composition of investment funds because, you know, for generations we had privately run investment funds like the AMP and the National Mutual and banks and uh, a whole lot of other privately run big institutions uh, essentially looking after our money. And of course, what's happened since the advent of compulsory superannuation is that the not-for-profit funds have essentially, they've taken control and they completely dominate that side of uh, the economy, which is, uh, you know, a real shift when you think about it, because here are these funds that aren't actually operating in their own best interest, they're operating in the interests of their members completely. It's been something that's been very difficult for, I think, public companies, for governments to get their head around the fact that, you know, Australian workers are now uh, really in control of the corporate situation, the corporate plays that go on. And this is the first really big one where, you know, an institution has stood in the way of a major takeover. And I think the fundamental difference here in the philosophy is that uh, Australian super is essentially saying, we're here to look after our, our members' future, not just for the next three months, for the next reporting season, or for the next couple of years, but for decades to come. So it's a very long-term horizon that they have in terms of their portfolio and, and the performance of that portfolio. Whereas in the past, we've had privately run funds that uh, if they didn't perform in the, in the uh, you know, over a quarter or over a half year or a year, mm. they would see a massive funds outflow and um, they wouldn't be able to compete. So it's a real shift in thinking. This is classic patient capital, isn't it? And of course, it's a, it goes to the core of this argument about 
whether the funds would um, take up the government's sort of implied offer that they could think of investing in the national interest. And they sort of said only if it suits our investors. So this is a really interesting play, isn't it? Um, I mean, It is. I mean, they, they still operate under the same financial constraints, I guess you'd say, is that they have to operate in the best interest of their client. That wasn't always the case, though, with uh, with the privately run funds. And the, the reason why industry funds have dominated is because their performance has been so much better because they aren't thinking about raking out fees. But every company director and every director of any entity, financial entity, has to operate in the best interests of the company. Well, this is your fiduciary duty, isn't the it? the shareholders or the members. And uh, so that is, uh, they still operate under those same constraints, but clearly there is a different philosophy in the way they're thinking now. Brookfield has loudly trumpeted how much money it's prepared to spend on our energy transition, and surely we do need that money. But Oz Super says no, that we don't lack capital here, but rather we lack a shortage of good quality investment opportunities. Now, what do you think they're getting at there? Well, over the past couple of years, we've seen a number of massive takeovers. So a lot of big companies have actually left the stock exchange boards and have either been taken over by rivals or they're now in the hands of private equity groups. And so I guess the opportunity for investment is diminishing in terms of public investment. And Australian Super is essentially saying this is a classic example of that. We don't think they're offering enough money for the longer term and we want it to stay a listed investment. Now, um, Brookfield and its, uh, and its North American partner, EIG, essentially promised Uh, Well, they got this deal through the ACCC, the competition regulator, by essentially saying we are best placed to fund the energy transition that is required and we're prepared to you know, put up around about $30 billion to do that. And that was really the factor, the key factor that the ACCC gave the green light to this deal on. But clearly they're, you know, they're, they're running scared now because they've once, uh, they've got, they've had to up the offer from about $18.5 billion up to $20 billion for the company. And as you say, they've more recently tried to get Australian Super in the tent by saying you can have uh, a slice of the uh, of the future earnings, if you like. Which uh, Ozsuper very firmly re- rebuffed them. Look, this business about the environmental yield is very interesting. This week, the heads of seven green activist groups have urged Ozsuper to either match the giant Brookfield 30 billion commitment or stop blocking the deal. Other environmental activists feel differently. Now, you know, I don't think we've seen this before either. No, we haven't. And look, Australian Super was pretty quick to shoot back at that as well. They're basically saying, look, we're long-term investors in the Australian economy and uh, we're open to providing capital to assist Origin as it prepares to transition over to uh, over the next decade uh, to deliver on, on net zero targets. So they're not saying we're not going to put this money in. In fact, uh, I don't know, you might well be uh, thinking that uh, they possibly would be better capitalised and probably with a with a greater national interest to see that this this occurs. Well, this so is... it, it is a very interesting situation that we found ourselves in here. Well, indeed, because I mean, I noticed that um, just at the end of the week, Macquarie came out with a suggestion that if the bid was 
rejected, uh, that the dividend yield could grow massively to shareholders and go maybe above 10% because the sense is the long-term value of origin is growing so much the longer we realise how uh, the the importance of, of net zero. So, I mean, they'd be distributing money from the company, if that's right, rather than investing in, um, in infrastructure for, uh, for net zero. Yeah, and I think this is central to Australian Super's argument that uh, the amount of money that's on the table at the moment does not reflect the long-term value of the company. And look, Origin is actually two separate businesses, really. It was it was spun out of Boral, actually, probably 25 years or so ago, and uh, it is now two separate businesses. On the one hand, it's an energy retailer, so, you know, a lot of us buy our electricity or, or you know, domestic gas from, uh, from Origin, and it also is a major major player in the gas export industry uh, from Curtis Island up uh, off the coast of Queensland there. And the American groups, the North American groups, were essentially going to split it in two. One was going to have the gas export business and the other was going to do the retail side of it. And what Macquarie is essentially saying is that those kind of strategies, those options will still be open to the company even if it doesn't uh, get across the line Mm. with this takeover next Thursday. So Australian Super could end up driving some other kind of agenda which realises a much better return for for shareholders and its members and also assist in that uh, green transition. I mean, this is interesting because people like uh, Teresa Engelhard, a concerned investor and director, she went into the media this week. She said she opposed the bid, she's a shareholder, because it would ultimately increase inequality. And I want to read her words. This deal shows us how the capital markets may be used to increase the concept concentration of wealthy private equity firms and other sophisticated investors with large pools of capital, increasingly owning the best companies at the best times for value growth and cutting out the rest of us. Uh, Yet another uh, vantage point, shall we say, Ian. Yeah, it is. And the rise of, um, you know, private equity has been quite remarkable over the past 20 years. I do wonder whether, you know, private equity groups would be able, or would have been able to expand in the way they have if interest rates hadn't been quite so low. And we're now in an environment where we've seen interest rates rise really quite sharply. And I think that will inhibit the ability of private equity groups, which essentially rely on uh, individual investors and big institutions putting their money in there, but also borrowing at very cheap levels. So we may well have seen the apex of the private equity push that we've seen uh, till recently. So it is a really interesting point Mm. that she makes. Mm, Yeah, and maybe that's why Brookfield is trying so hard. Well, we'll know next Thursday when um, there is a vote cast, 75 percent of the shareholders have to say yes, and that must represent 50% of shareholders voting to approve. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Look, before I let you go, do you have any inside knowledge or thoughts on who might be appointed deputy RBA governor? Michelle Bullock, of course, moved from that role to be the governor. And now the treasurer, Jim Chalmers, has to make a call. Geraldine, I wish I did know, but I don't. But I mean, there's there's quite a bit of talk going around about who it might be and uh, where that person might come from. Uh, there's, I, I guess, having appointed uh, the, the previous deputy governor into the role of governor, there were a lot of people who thought that, well, if we are going to have a shake-up of the Reserve Bank, as that uh, review suggested we should do, 
perhaps it would have been better to bring someone in from outside. So that didn't happen. And you might think that maybe the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, is thinking of perhaps appointing a deputy from outside, which would, you know, inject some new blood into the organisation and possibly somebody who's had some experience uh, offshore globally. I mean, there's a few like few names out there. One, one that I have heard is uh, Justin Wolfers, oh, who's quite a well-known Australian economist who works over in the States. Yes, he's very well known in, in the financial media. Is that a chance, is it? Well, it was a name that I heard bandied about the other day. Uh, it would make a lot of sense, uh, you know, an eminent economist, very uh, succinct and uh, tight thinker, great communicator. Uh, and, you know, he is an Australian and he's got a, you know, a huge experience and a great intellect. So, you know, you could do worse. <laughs> when do we expect a decision, do you know? Well, look, we don't know the timetable, but I think it's it's any time soon because you can't have a structure like the Reserve Bank without a full management uh, click there. And, uh, you know, the new regime really kicks into gear in the new year. So uh, February will be the first meeting that uh, the new structure that has been, um, you know, recommended will take will be formed and take place. So you'd expect before then. Ian Verinder, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Geraldine. It's a pleasure. Ian Verinder, business editor for ABC News. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.